You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Please be seated. My name is uh, Charles Sixera. And I am uh, privileged to serve as the senior pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Albert Lee, Minnesota. Uh, I was also privileged to be here as an intern from 2016 uh, to 2017 as a pastoral intern here. And it's great to see a lot of uh, familiar faces as as well as a lot of new friends, a lot of new faces. Um, This summer... Uh, as I'm uh, kind of just visiting and t- getting a glance of what God's doing here at Third, uh, I know that you all are going through a sermon series called Taste and See, which is extending the invitation boldly, I would say, to extend the invitation to taste and to see, to really experience and dive into the goodness of God. And they're doing this, we're doing this as we go uh, through the biblical narrative, going from meal to meal, and we're seeing God's love in action for his people. Uh, And so now, uh, Holy Spirit, uh, we are turning uh, our attention to your word, so open our ears to hear you. Scripture is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9a. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My invitation uh, to each of us this morning through this passage in Mark 8 uh, is to taste and see, to experience, to be moved in and through by God's compassion, God's compassion. I think that uh, Mark 8, this passage at the beginning of Mark 8, shows us everything that we would need to know about God's compassion. And it will show us two things about God's compassion uh, very clearly, I think. Not only the nature of God's compassion, but the calling that is animated through it. Not only the nature of God's compassion, but how we are animated through it into a new calling as a people of God. So God's compassion and our calling. And every time uh, we dive into one of these passages, uh, it's right and good to take a moment to kind of set the scene of what we are walking into in Jesus's life. 
Uh, We see ourselves on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and 4,000 men, women, and children have gathered uh, seaside to see Jesus, and they're not there just to see Jesus or even just to hear uh, the words, the teachings that he has for them. They're there for what I think becomes an often forgotten majority of his ministry. They are there because Jesus has offered and is able and willing to heal. Thousands have gathered, each with their own reason for being there, each with their own story. You have the mourning who are looking to be healed with comfort. You have the blind who are hoping if they can just speak with Jesus that maybe they'll see again. You have the paralyzed who are hoping, just hoping and holding on to hope that maybe they'll walk. You have uh, the dying who are hoping they might be cured. You have the notorious who are hoping maybe they'll be accepted. And you have the unforgivable hoping that maybe, just maybe, if they have a moment with Jesus, they can be forgiven. Thousands, 4,000 men, women, and children who are gathered together hoping, leaving everything aside, everything else they knew aside, and coming out to see Jesus just for a moment, to graze by him, to have one glance, to have one conversation with him. If they can only have one minute with him, then maybe all of their hopes could be realized and they'd be made new. 4,000 stories, all waiting and hoping. They couldn't leave. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't leave. This was their once-in-a-lifetime chance for many of them to be made new. And part of not leaving meant that all of the food that they had gathered, that they had packed uh, to take on this journey to go find this man named Jesus who they could hope in They had gone through all of their food, and after three days, Jesus sees them in their hunger, in all of their hoping and longing, all of their fears and dreams, and he sees them in their waiting, and it says this, Jesus saw the crowds, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Uh, And this word, uh, compassion, is one of my favorite words in all of Scripture. Uh, It is so interesting and so rich. Uh, And it's also one that's really hard to say, so bear with me. It is splagnizomai, splagnizomai. Okay, there's a $10 word for you to take home or to lunch, splagnizomai. The root of the word means bowels. And it's actually not a noun like we use compassion mostly. It's actually a verb. And the word means that his bowels churned inside of him. 
So when it says that he had, I have compassion for these people, he's saying, my stomach is wrenched for these people as I'm seeing how they might be going home hungry and they might not make the journey. I can't bear to see them in pain. I can't bear to see them go home without all their hopes of knowing me realized. I can't bear to see it. And so my gut is wrenched inside of me. I have compassion for these people. I compassion for them. This idea of God seeing his people suffering and him taking on suffering is the entire reason we are here today, is it not? We celebrate, we worship a God who isn't just willing to step into and among human suffering, but to stay among human suffering so much that he takes on suffering for us. His gut wrenches, his stomach churns when he sees longings unfulfilled, when he sees pain being suffered. He is doubled over and he immediately turns to the 12 and he says, we have to find a way. I can't sit here. Everything in me is moving inside and so I have to move my hands and feet. We have to find a way to feed them. There's gotta be a way. How much bread do we have? And he just starts rattling through ideas of how he's going to meet the needs of the people he's compassioning for. His compassion cannot be passive or scientific or cold, or calloused, or unmoved. It has to be put in motion. And so he begins thinking through how he'll feed the crowds. And what I love about this passage, this narrative, is when we see God showing compassion for his people, we see that every time their stomach is growling, his stomach turns all the more. Every time we see God's people in pain, we see him paining alongside them. Again, not just being God with us as if he's protected by some sphere of ambivalence amidst our suffering. He comes into our suffering and suffers with us. Compassion. Perfect compassion. And as I was thinking about uh, this topic for this week, I think what really stirred inside of me is that this is exactly what I think I wait for in a lot of my life and what I think we're all waiting for, is just one person in the midst of when you're going through a pain or a deep longing, especially one Uh, that is so personal and so uh, uprooting in your heart. And you're going through life and you have this experience. For me, it's depression. And you're going through these kind of silent groanings of life. And you're waiting for one 
person to sit with you and to be satisfied right there and not to be thinking about their next appointment, but just to be satisfied knowing that they are representing God's compassion, his faithfulness to you. I think we're all waiting and longing for that. We might just have different hungers. Uh, For some of us, uh, it's a hunger for food. For some of us, it might be hunger for friendships. For some of us, it might be a hunger for wholeness or forgiveness or sleep or joy. All of us have hungers that we're waiting for just one person to step into the void and become God's love for us, God's compassion, his bowel-churning, gut-wrenching, emotional, visceral response to be there faithfully in our suffering. All of us are waiting. We're waiting for one person who won't uh, be held up by all the complications that come with showing someone compassion. And then inevitably... I think what is the tragedy on the other side of this is if we wait too long, I think the enemy loves to develop a cynicism. A cynicism that speaks to us in the midst of our suffering and says, see, I told you no one was coming. No one was coming. If you thought that you were suffering alone, maybe you were right. And I think if people wait too long, they lose hope for the one person who can represent Jesus for them, who can truly be God's compassion for them. But to find one person is world-changing, to find one person who can sit in the midst of our suffering, truly uproots our life in a way that barrels over all of our cynicism and says, I knew God would be here with me, and at the same time, I wasn't expecting you to be here. I wasn't expecting someone else to be here in the midst of this most private pain that I've been suffering. All of these deepest longings that I've had. I I wasn't expecting you to be here and how that explains and defines and puts a face to God's compassion for me. It would be world-changing for someone to sit up in all hours of the night and to listen to stories of, of all the unexplained tears and the lonely meals, and the quiet days after the loss of a spouse, or the doctor's visits without explanation, without results. For someone to be present, for someone to truly cry and weep and mourn when we mourn, we are all waiting for that. And here... Explaining all of our hopes is Jesus. 
We see Jesus in the midst of these 4,000 stories, each there for their own reason, and he sees each of their hurts and their longings, and he sees each of them, and he cannot stay passive or unmoved or callous. He reaches out with his gut first, and he says, we have to meet them in their needs. His compassion is animated among the 4,000. And today, you may feel like you are entirely alone. You may feel like, while this is a great narrative of Christ seeing some in their pain, no one truly has come to sit with me in mine. And let me just assure you that in the same way that this passage begins with God's great and perfect sight for the suffering, he sees you and me as well. And it's not just him. He's animated a people. And this is where our calling inevitably comes into play. Uh, people of God, if you claim to follow Jesus Christ this morning, and I hope that you do or will, uh, you have a job to do. And it's a wonderful one. Your calling is to act out God's compassion for the world around you. That your heart would be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you would spill out in all the same ways that his heart is moved. That you would enjoy him so much that in great joy it would spill out into the world and you would love as he loves that in the same way that his gut is wrenched when he sees the pain and the suffering and the longing, you would see them in the very same way and in the same way that God's compassion cannot remain passive, yours would not either. Your job, Church of Christ, is to act out God's compassion for the world around you to act out God's compassion. As soon as Jesus begins uh, telling the 12, look, I cannot leave them hungry. I see them with this great need, this great longing to be with me, to experience with me. And if they go home too early, they'll never get a time with me. And if they go home, they might never make it because they don't have food. We have to meet them right here, right now with food. And he starts telling the 12 this, and all they can think of is the complications. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? And I, I so identify with this. I so identify with this. The idea, uh, Jesus, I know that you love these people. I know that your stomach is churning. I know you have to find a way to meet their need. But if you stop and think about it, Jesus, we don't have enough. There's really no way we can do this. And I know you want to love them. And I know that sounds great to feed them. But how are we going to do it? And all the while, if you remember, it was just a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Mark, just a few weeks 
that Jesus fed 5,000 with less portions. And so it comes to this kind of uh, harrowing realization that either they have forgotten what happened just a few weeks ago, or at the very crux of their arguments and their complaints, they never wanted to feed the crowd in the first place. They are too tired. The hassle is too great. It's either they've forgotten that God could do what he's already done just a few weeks prior, or they don't want to feed the crowds in the first place. Let me confess something to you. I have seen God's compassion for me. I know God's love for me. And that is a hard-fought knowledge for me, and at the same time, I'm sure of it. And I've been a Christ follower long enough to know that my calling is to extend the same compassion to the world around me. And yet, in this narrative, I am a disciple failing with all the complications creating obstacle after obstacle. All I think about are the complications that outweigh my calling. And I come to the same realization that I am either so incredibly forgetful that God can do all the things that he has already shown me he can do and that he's done for me. Or I have to come to the realization that the complications of limited time or money have outweighed my sense of calling. It has to be one or the other. What I tend to do as a confession, what I tend to know is even though God is wanting so desperately to fill me with his Holy Spirit and have his compassion flow out of me with all of my actions, thoughts, words, deeds, all of it, even though that's true, at the end of the day, I think about what me and mine need. And compassion just becomes a footnote. Church, I hope you're convinced that I'm fully aware that I'm not perfect at this. I don't expect any of you to be either. Compassion is so at the core of who God is that it would take an entire life transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit to change me entirely from the inside out. And I'm still, in the, I'm still a work in progress, and I know you are too. And at the same time, in the midst of all of my inadequacy and in the midst of any of your inadequacies, 
God supplies everything we could possibly need to show compassion to those around us, despite all of the complications that we mount up around it. If you see in the passage, he asks them, how many loaves of bread do we have? And you can just imagine them uh, thinking and, and with a brief recent memory, wait, I've seen him do this before. It was just a few weeks ago that he fed 5,000 with just five loaves, and now we have seven. Come join the feast. Every time we have a complication, an obstacle that our hearts, our human hearts create in front of showing compassion, every time we make a complaint or we lose faith in the midst of our calling to be compassion in the world around us, church, he provides everything you could possibly need. I want you to think about the the time where you first realized the great compassion of God in your own life and the compassionate God who went the entire distance to come and to save you And how much love it took to traverse that kind of distance, that kind of chasm. Could he not produce the same kind of resource, the same kind of compassion for him to work through you today? And so we see Jesus sending the tired 12 into the 4,000, acting out compassion, acting out everything that's happening inside of Jesus's stomach and heart for the world to see so that they would never have a shadow of a doubt that God doesn't just come to be among them or with them or in their midst as if he wants to keep an arm's length from their suffering, but he enters into their suffering. It's so that they would never doubt God's compassion. Friends, in the midst of knowing that God suffers with us, that he uh, hurts in the midst of our longing, and that we're called to act out to be the hands and feet of God's compassion in the world around us, that would be so filled with God that he begins spilling out and we look like God to our neighbors in the midst of that great calling. Let me suggest that there are two great hungers that are around you today. First, who is it who is waiting in your life right now who is hungering for friendship? Coming out of a pandemic, All of us at some level of some severity can understand what it means to feel alone. But a pandemic didn't create loneliness. And coming out of a pandemic won't demolish loneliness. Compassion demolishes loneliness. Who is it in your life that is waiting for you to be compassionate, to compassion them. 
that finally out of the churning of your own stomach as God recreates you, that you would give just one hour to befriend them? Who is waiting for you in all of the hunger for friendship? And what one hour will God supply for you that you didn't even know that you had, that you didn't know was possible? What one hour will he multiply for you? For you to be compassion meeting the hunger for friendship. And lastly, there are those who are hungering right now in a very real physical way. Uh, physical hunger for food might not be something uh, that you or your household know well. It might be. But if it is foreign to you today, I, I would suggest that it is not foreign at all to our neighbors. Richmond ranks among the highest mid to large sized cities in the country as one of the most predominant uh, places of food insecurity in the country. Nearly one in five coming out of the pandemic in Richmond do not know where their next meal is coming from. And here, as we are talking about tasting and seeing, they're waiting for you and for me. They're waiting for this conversation that we're having to become real to them today. And again, this is not so that we would look great or have the satisfaction at night of feeling like we're better people. This is so that God, who is so filling us, would be so attractive that he would fill us from the inside out, spill out into the world around us, and be so winsome of every single man, woman, and child in Richmond that they would all be so convinced of his lordship, of his goodness, of his faithfulness. What if that happened? Because this became more than a conversation by God's grace. If it looked like God's compassion in motion. If we took up our calling and put aside our complaints. People of God, I'm there with you. I need to remember that God supplies every need of this calling. That it is only by his grace and only for his glory. I need that reminder every single day. Would we be the people of God, filled with compassion so much that it spills out to the world around us? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are good and faithful to perfect and not just per to perfect but to continue until completion the works that you have begun. Holy Spirit, you are so good to continue to invite us in all of our inadequacy and in all of our doubts to be your people. And so, Lord, as we are filled with you and filled with all of these new operations of compassion inside of us, would we be compassion representing you in the world around us? Lord, teach us. Teach us to be your sons this world. 
and to Richmond most immediately. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.